Good evening and welcome to a very special edition of Second Opinion. This week our programme comes to you from the hospital of St John and St Elizabeth in St John's Wood. Tonight we're going to go behind the scenes of a busy London hospital to discover how the dedicated staff keep it running smoothly for the patients. From a walk-in clinic to the birth unit and from fundraising to the pathology labs, you will hear just how a real hospital works. That's Second Opinion with me, Dr Jules Eden. What's the first place you come to in a hospital? It's outpatients. Will you come along to see the consultant or see when the other doctors here? I'm sitting down at outpatients with Fiona Roach, the outpatient manager. Good evening, Fiona. Evening, dear. Now, I'm in a room here actually surrounded by sort of eye testing equipment and all these sort of charts to read. Actually, some of them in Arabic as well, which is quite interesting. Now, is this what we call the eye room then? Yes, this is the eye room where all the ophthalmic surgeons come and do all their tests in here. Right. How often do they come here? Every, nearly every day we have an ophthalmic surgeon in right. here. So all the other rooms here, they do they have different specialties? Some of them do. There's a two gynaecology rooms, um, and there's a laser room as well, which we use for the dermatology. And then the other rooms, all specialities. So you have a laser here as well? Mm-hmm. Yes. What sort of laser is that? KTP laser. That which we does use, what? Which burns off. Sort burns, of, you know. Yeah, used for skin mainly. Um, any skin lesions that they need to use it for. Oh, Some of the plastic yeah. surgeons use it as well, but they tend to use it more in theatre rather yeah. than outpatients. Because that's not really a standard thing to have in outpatients, is it? It's becoming more of a standard now. Right. Some outpatients use it more. You have to have special rooms because they have to be laser-proof. Right. Now, how busy are you here in outpatients? We're extremely busy. We're open from half seven in the morning and we close at nine o'clock at night, open six days a week. The only day we close is Sunday. So what are the most popular times for people to come here? Most of the time, any time really between 10 and 7 in the day. Now, most people always assume you can only see a doctor when you come into our patients. Now, I know that nurses do dressings here mm -hmm. and things like that. Yes, we just started off a nurse-led dressings clinic, so people can come and have their sutures removed and can also come and have daily dressings done. A lot of people have chronic dressings which need to be done on a... Uh, daily basis, and right. we're happy to do that. Because that's always been very difficult sometimes with the normal doctors to see that if you're needing a daily dressing, if they're say closed over the weekend. Yes, and uh, you right. know, if, uh, and if somebody needs it every day, we are happy for somebody else to come in on a Sunday and do it from one of the wards. They'd be happy to do it. Really? Yes. Right. Yeah, and a lot of people, you know, they, it's at their convenience. Right. District nurses that don't, they always come in at their time rather than the patients. Now, you've just done a dressing change yourself, have, haven't you? Yes. Now, you're obviously a nurse as well. I am a nurse as well as a manager. Right. Now, yeah. the people that are doing the dressings, do you have to be special training to be a dressings changer? We have to be, um, no, not. It's just common sense, really. Common so. sense, but you have to keep updated on, on what products are around yeah. as well. And we'll all, if we're not happy with the dressing, We'll always refer it on to a specialist. Right, okay. Now, can I ask you, how much does it cost to get a dressing changed here? Roughly around £25. Well, that's pretty good. It's not bad, yes. Yeah. I mean, if somebody was coming on a regular basis, we may do a package. Right, because the key thing, I think, with wounds and wound care mm -hmm. is that the way that sometimes it just gets left over a weekend or a bank holiday weekend yes. is no good at all for a wound, isn't no, it? No, not if it has to be changed regularly. Yeah, yeah. so this is a great place for people to come exactly. to. Exactly. And a reasonable price. Now, on top of that, I mean, there are other sort of facilities you have here, and I believe there's a sort of a, a morning clinic here. Yes, there's a, a GP early morning clinic that starts at half seven till nine o'clock. Right. Um, well, that's a pretty convenient time to have it, isn't it? Yes, because it's half helpful for people on the way to work they can just drop in um, mm. rather than and they don't they can make an appointment for the next day right. rather than sitting their own often sitting and waiting for hours to see their own GP yeah, it's a guaranteed appointment yeah time, and so. often on the NHS you can't get an appointment right. for a week 
Absolutely. Yeah, but this is next day appointment. Because the beauty of the hospital here is you're quite close actually to the tube station. We are, so it's very handy for people on the way to work. And there's parking as well here. Parking, yes. So they can come along and park and see a doctor before they go to work. Mm -hmm. Now, how do they actually do that? Is there a number they call to sort of get through they to They can call the outpatient number, which do you want me to give? Yeah. 0208, um, no, sorry, 0207 806 Right, and they ring that number, they can book an appointment we'll book with, an appoint a GP with a GP for yeah. the next morning. Before they go to work. Now, yes. now that's the, that's the early morning clinic. Now, you also do so have a travel clinic here as well, don't we you? We do, um, yeah. which we will do vaccinations. Yeah. Also measure four stockings for people who are going on long-haul yeah. flights. Now, we'll be talking to John Scare about that, that later, later on. Yeah. Yes. But the travel clinic is quite important too, because, I mean, in London, a lot of people, you know, end up going to one or two central London clinics, which is getting quite difficult to access. Yes. But I believe here you've now got sort of full yellow fever status as well. We have, yes. So they can come here for everything. Right, because in the past, other places, you, to get yellow fever status, it means that if you didn't have it, you'd have to go to one clinic for yellow fever, have to go right across London for all the other injections, but you can get them all done here now. Exactly, and pay for them all together rather than having to pay separate hospitals. Well, that's good, yeah. yeah. So the kind of the patients that come in here, to, the, to see a consultant, do you have to be referred or can they just walk in and see a consultant? What's the process? No, most consultants do like to have a GP letter, but um, people can come in and refer themselves. They can? They can, they can refer themselves. Right, okay. Now, uh, if they refer themselves, I mean, they, I mean, how do they know which consultant to see? Normally, you don't see a GP and he'd say, well, right, that's a problem with your knee, go and see yes. a knee specialist. But if you've got tummy pain and you're not sure whether it's surgical or you're not sure whether it's a kidney problem or whatever. What so we would do, if somebody rang up, I would ask them to come and talk to me right. on the phone, just um, or one of the qualified nurses, mm. and we would help them to right, find the right consultant to see them. Right, so you see quite a few um, foreign clients here as well? Yes, we do. We have a lot of people coming from abroad, um, mm. and often it will be us that will refer them to a consultant we think is most suitable for them. Right, yeah. Now, I believe there's also a sort of Japanese-run clinic here as well, isn't there? There is. There's a Nippon clinic in the yeah. within the hospital, which is like right. a GP clinic. So that's not part of outpatients? It's not part of outpatients, but they will refer a lot of their patients through to our outpatients. We do have a Japanese interpreter at all times in our patient department. Yeah. Um, so there's always an interpreter available if anybody did want to come in and see one of our other consultants, we're happy they're not connected with the Nippon Clinic. Because yeah. I noticed that, I mean, the thing about London hospitals very yes. unique is they have to cater for a very broad-based clientele. That's right. And I've, said, I've never seen an Arabic <laughs> eye chart before, perhaps it's been no. comments on how little I get that. You know? <laughs> but I mean, that's quite intriguing. Yes. So again, you get a lot of Arabic yes, clients coming here as well. Yeah, and um, our superintendent doctor speaks Arabic as well, oh, so right. there's always somebody around, yes, yeah. if there's a real problem with interpretation. Oh, interesting, yeah. Mm. So, um, you're, so you're open at, sort of, until 9 o'clock every we year. Are, what about yes. weekends? We're open on a Saturday from, usually from about 8 till 3. Right, On a yeah. Saturday, um, where we have a f less clinics on, but we have the um, Lejeune Clinic on as well, which is for the Down Syndrome children. Okay. Yep. Fiona, thank you very much indeed. Thank really is the hospice, uh, providing the service really for the community. And it's run by Dr. Philip Jones, who's a consultant in palliative medicine. Good evening, Philip. Good evening. Now, uh, how long have you been working here? 14 years. 14 now. years, right. Now, can you tell me, in that time, how has the sort of hospice changed? Well, really, there's been a revolution in, in hospice care and what hospices mean. When I first uh, joined the hospice staff, most people would understand that you came to hospice um, really 
you would then die and that you would die quite quickly and I think most people would think you'd be given morphine being put to sleep yeah. and that was the, the general public's perception of what we did. Right. Today it's completely different. Of course we're still here for people who are ill, who face a disease where they're likely to die right. and we try to make sure that we um, offer them full support and help through the process of facing an incurable disease. Because the role as a consultant in palliative medicine, I mean palliative really means the end of your end of your days, doesn't it? Or making the end of days as pleasant as possible. Yes. Palliative medicine is now a medical specialty in its yeah. own right. Well that's the key thing, isn't it? Because before it wasn't, it was and that's come in more or less around the time I came into palliative yeah. medicine. Um, now doctors in palliative medicine are trained just the same as any other consultant in, in uh, uh, the NHS system and we're part of a scheme that we train registrars here to be palliative medicine experts. Yeah. That primarily means we are, we are experts in the management of symptoms associated with diseases such as cancer. This hospice happens to have a particular interest in, in HIV-related conditions as well. And so, if you like, I'm an expert in the symptoms associated with life-threatening disease. Mm. Most people would recognise um, that as looking after people with pain or any other symptom that you might be associated with cancer. It may be the side effects from cancer treatments like chemotherapy yeah. causing nausea, um, maybe the problem with breathlessness that you often get with lung cancer. Um, and so if you have a cancer illness, I would recommend that you get linked up with your palliative care team, mm. which may involve um, expert nurses, which, which are often called Macmillan nurses in this country, mm. in order to get the best part out of the life you have. It's no longer just about dying, but if the thing that stops you living a life is that you're uncomfortable, we can get rid of that and we can help you plan the issues about maybe being threatened with not coping fully with work, maybe mm. with the financial issues about um, losing income as you deal with um, the change in your circumstances. So who refers patients here? I mean, if, if you say, if, you, if you've got a problem like this, you should get linked in with a palliative care doctor. Do you go to your GP and ask to be referred if you're suffering from cancer or have HIV? Or does your consultant at the hospital who's dealing on a day-to-day -day basis with it say, well, it's now beyond my control, it's now time for the palliative care team to be looking to be involved as well? Referrals tend to come equally from the hospital network through consultants or through GPs. I mean, if an individual phones us up, there, then we will certainly advise them um, and then speak to their GP or their consultant to make sure that, uh, that we get the full medical information. So the key point here then is to get referred early in the system. So if you've been diagnosed as having cancer and you're having chemo or radiotherapy, is don't wait for it to get so bad that, or how you feel to get so bad, that suddenly it's a rush job being referred into palliative care. It's a sort of be part of an well, almost initial process of diagnosis to be referred. Also now, the way that healthcare is changing, we think about the, the pathway people go on from the, the moment they're diagnosed through to planning how their future uh, expectations, how their future health needs are met. That pathway doesn't just happen that you see the doctor in the, in the hospital and then says that's it and over to someone like me. Mm. It's much more of a partnership so um, I might jointly see people while they're still seeing their consultant physician, while they're still seeing their radiotherapist and that overlap period and partnership might work for a considerable period of time. Mm. 
Initially, it may be that they're getting chemotherapy treatments and that most of their health care has come from the hospital. Right. Um, it may then be that the lead doctor will switch to someone like myself who will then coordinate with the GP and the hospital system who is most appropriate. But much more than, than happened in previous years, we're now looking at changing the way that people are looked after by the healthcare in the UK in general, and palliative care is part of that. Right. How many beds do you have here? Uh, we have 19. 19. Now, is that evenly split between HIV and cancer sufferers, or is it whoever has most need? It's We always give priority to who has most need. The way it balances up is, is we're aiming to be an equal partnership, again, between the needs of people with HIV and the needs of people with cancer. Mm. Um, also, what, what's changed dramatically is how long people actually stay in the hospice. Um, in the early years, people used to stay for some weeks. Now the average person stays for um, uh, several days. Most people come in, go home again, and the aim is to get them as independently as possible um, and to live well in their own homes with perhaps advice from us, coming back to outpatient clinics, yeah. um, but not staying for long. Because the role of the hospice is not just, the hospice work is not just within the walls of this building. Absolutely. People are at home and you also have the teams which will see them at home as well. It's yeah. all part of an integrated plan. We have more than 100 people living in their own homes who we visit regularly, make sure that if they're not well enough to go to a hospital outpatient clinic, we can give them full advice. We'll visit them at home with nurses, doctors, physiotherapists, to make sure that they're um, best advised and able to, to live well with their families at home. Right. Dr. Philip Jones, thank you very much.